0: Hi, my name is Roger Yates. I'm an ethical vegan from Dublin, Ireland, originally from Yorkshire, England. You can Google me on on human non-human relations. You're listening to the superb coexisting with non-human animals.
1: I know the human being and fish
2: can coexist peacefully.
3: Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, let's yeah, well. get it right.
4: You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals.
5: Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Thank you to everyone who joined me for my World Vegan Day episode. It was great to celebrate with vegans from around the world, including those poor souls unlucky enough not to attend the inaugural Invercargill Vegan Society Potluck Dinner. I've got some exciting news. Today, I was lucky enough to get a copy of The Cookbook for People Who Love Animals, which is published by Gentleworld. And this is a book, a cookbook from way back in, and I'm just going through, 1981 by Gentleworld. And that's pretty cool, it's a vegan cookbook from 1981, although on the front it says, Over 300 totally vegetarian recipes, from beginner to gourmet. No meat, no eggs, no dairy, no sugar or honey, no cholesterol. The cookbook for people who love animals. And I thought this was a really cool book, just with the history of it being so old, and being from such a good group who have uh, a sanctuary in New Zealand as well as Hawaii. And it's it's quite a cool book. It's uh, actually typeset, I believe they they mentioned Angel mentioned. So it's like it's printed on a typewriter inside, which is kind of kind of cool. Um, it adds to its charm, and it has sort of line art drawings through it, which which are cool as well, and um, lots of interesting quotes. And some of it stands out as a little bit religious for my liking. Example. Animals are in our power in a peculiar sense; they are committed by God to our sovereignty, and we owe to them a considerate regard for their rights. No animal life can be treated as a thing. Woful disrespect of the sanctuaries of physical life in one sphere bears its fruits in other and higher spheres. Well, that's from Bishop Westcott, and that does sound sort of worrisome to me that the idea that It's one of those things, you know, people who abuse animals turn out to hurt human beings as well, and they hurt children, and they're bad to their wives, and oh, they're terrible people because they started off hurting animals, you know, when we are animals too. So, um, this bit about God, and sovereignty, and yeah, committed, (laughs) so like a mental patient committed under our sort of steed, aren't they? Um, But the book's interesting, Eggplant Tahini Bake, Onion Tahini Bake, Eggplant Parmesan, um, I'll skip the eggplant ones. Soy burgers, rice patties, zucchini squash patties, chickpea burgers. Ugh. Do onto animals as you would have them do onto you. Leg of lamb, tongue, chickens' feet, turtle soup, pigs' knuckles, frogs' legs, stuffed turkey, pheasant under glass, pickled squid. Ugh. Um, vanilla ice cream, carob ice cream, vegetable juice cocktail, cold slippery elm drink. Um, instant soy soybean meal dinner. Um. It's it's quite interesting. It's a really good book, and the, and the line art drawings are fun. So I thought I'd like to mention it, and I'm excited. I'm I got three copies of it. One I'll keep for myself. One I'll lend to other people, and one copy I'll I'll give to my vegan cooking class instructor. I say vegan cooking class. It's actually vegetarian slash vegan, and so that can be a, a little bit interesting. But I'm looking forward to giving Alan a copy of his own, and hopefully it'll push the group towards being vegan and promoting veganism. All vegan cooking class meals. I recently visited Occupy Invercargill, our local branch of the terrifying social movement occupying defenceless cities around the globe. I brought down some vegan cake and Boston Vegan Association pamphlets on veganism. The cake was well received and I hope the pamphlets have been well read. Occupy Invercargill, a city where even the mayor came personally down. He shook all their hands and said he'd have a portaloo loo dropped off, a portable toilet like builders use. Uh, He'd have the reserves power switched on for them to use, and he gave them a signed copy of his book. Signed their visitor's book, and gave them a business card, which he'd put his personal cell phone number on, for if there were any troubles with the city council or police. Now! Compared to the images I've seen from America, with Oakland, California police and the New York Police Department unleashing tear gas, pepper spray, long-range acoustic devices which are designed to hurt your ears and make you feel like you're on fire through crazy radar dish sound wave things, giant bulldozers to clear the encampments, (laughs) that's a fun word to use, encampments in in this sense, and with such a shocking, totalitarian, or wellian level of corruption and total police clampdown, fight the power, brothers and sisters, so that one day, in America, women will be allowed to sit at the front of buses and peaceful protest won't result in kids being smashed in by Oakland riot police, nor the New York Police Department throwing tear gas here, there, and everywhere.
2: Another summer Sound of the funky drummer. Music hitting your heart, cause I know you got I soul. This hey. Hey. Listen if you're missing, y'all. swinging while I'm singing. Hey. Giving what you're getting, knowing what I know in while I'm
5: 1989. That brings me back to when a young Jordan Wyatt was two years old, just like Michael Jackson's album Badge. That Invercargill Mayor Tim Shadbolt will help out anyone though. He'll even read from a piece of paper pinned to your herbivore clothing sweatshirt with an Invercargill Vegan Society badge.
6: G'day, I'm Tim Shadbolt, the Mayor of Invercargill. You might remember me from such films as The World's Fastest Indian or Utu. Southland has many wonderful attractions, from the southernmost institute of technology that speaks English in the world, our velodrome, our beaches, our friendly, broad-minded people, but the Invercargill-Vegan Society... Whoops. Vegan. Oh, Vegan.
5: Hey, every vegan occasionally says vegan. Even the mayor with the name of a city's leading export, Vegan Podcasts, vegan. Come on, give the guy a break.
6: But our most prized possession is the wonderful Invercargill Vegan Society. Quite possibly the southernmost vegan society in the world. You can cite me at Wikipedia.
5: Yeah, possibly the southernmost in the world, and at the time, after little old Jordan Wyatt, who was two in 1989, after he'd gotten appointments and been buzzed in through doors and been eyeballed by security cameras and security guards and all kinds of stuff, and finally got an appointment with the mayor of his city, which is kind of intimidating in this giant building and surrounded by all these famous portraits of the mayor with people and all these symbols of power, the trappings of power, I guess you could say, um... (laughs) The guy was a little bit unaware that the Invercargill Vegan Society, the greatest export of the city of 50,000 people at the bottom of the world, yeah, Inversock had one, count them, one members, (laughs) with an S, one members, (laughs) so yeah, but uh, he didn't know that, and so he thankfully read off my, my chest from the little script I'd printed off that said, you know, we're the greatest thing in the world, the Invercargill Vegan Society. And he even said I had permission (laughs) to cite him on Wikipedia for when we have a Wikipedia article on the Invercargill Vegan Society. So that'll be fun. Invercargill Mayor Sherbolt, And to make my accent clear, I'm meaning the leader of a city, the big chief, the big kahuna, like, you know, Mayor Quimby in Springfield, as the Americans might say, Mayor, Mayor. Or, as we English speakers say, mere, like you know, the horse, or yeah. Uh, our mere shadbolt will even go along with a joke for your American friends. And this was pinned with the requisite sock badge to your sweatshirt. And yeah, he, he appreciates that and he's glad to go along with it.
6: G'day and greetings to my old friend Lucas. I'm sorry about the delay in getting back to you, mate, but you know, how's the vegan pregnancy going anyway? I hope we'll see you at Imbercargill again soon. We'll have another pint of spates and a Southland Swede served esteemed at the local cafe in Esk Street. Until then, enjoy the badge, Lucas. You live in Virginia now. Watch out for the Thought Police. Why don't you move down here and you can crash with your old mate Jordan and at his crib?
5: Yes indeed, uh, Lucas, if you're listening, you can most certainly stay at my house, my crib. You can stay here, and after we've had a, a steamed swede, a large sort of turnip-like vegetable, it was the leading vegan export of my city I could think of at the time, and it sounds quite humorous, going to a cafe. Oh yes, I'll have a plate of the finest Southland swede served steamed, as he put it. Um, Yeah, so you're most welcome, Lucas, or any other member of the Invercargill Vegan Society. You're most welcome to sleep here, and I'll sleep on the couch, because that's what dictators of their local, (laughs) at the time, one-member vegan society, that's what they get up to when they get ousted by their occupiers, you could say. I have some clips to share from a recent episode of This Week in Tech, one of my favourite podcasts, covering global technology news of the past week. I'd long had suspicions about my favourite technology journalist, Joshua Topolsky, and there was a lot of things that seemed to be in place, and I could see his partner Laura, she has a Twitter status profile thingamajig, says something like, I think it's really weird that people eat animals or something, and I'm like, wow, is she vegan or vegetarian? And they launched their site, The Verge, on the 1st of November, which everyone in the whole universe knows is World Vegan Day. So I sent her a tweet saying, Laugh out loud, like, Are you launching The Verge on, like, the World Vegan Day 2011? And that was like a hashtag, by the way. Um, you know, just to coincide with World Vegan Day. You know, the launch of The Verge, World Vegan Day. World Verge-in Day. <laughs> um, and yeah, for some reason I never got a response to that. But yeah, maybe they're vegan, vegetarian. Well joshua topolsky he appeared on this episode of twit this week in tech and he kind of confirmed he is indeed vegetarian whatever that means
3: barbecue oh, next sunday it's next sunday right you having, having a barbecue we're having a ford barbecue you should have i timed why my trips why really? didn't you
7: have a barbecue today when Cause we we're here because
3: you're here and i you knew you need all the food whiskey you brought whiskey we have meat next week
7: which goes great with whiskey
3: oh damn what was i thinking
8: that's all right we'll be there next time
3: <laughs> well we're having one on december 4th too you come back November right 13th, now. December 4th, if you want to go to our barbecue, go to twit.tv, click the barbecue link, and sign up because we will have a sellout. We're going to have a tent. We're taking a, getting a parade permit from the Petaluma Police. Are so there food? vegetarian options? There will not be. Come eat me. Are you a vegetarian, Joshua? Yeah. Oh. Yes, there will be. There <laughs> oh, will great. be. There's and always turkey or something.
7: Hey, yeah. Go to meaty.
3: This what is you... a great time for. No, no, no. no, no you know what? Uh, we are um, getting the best caterer good. in Petaluma to do this, and I am sure there will be uh, vegetarian. Uh, will drinks.
7: there be some, some pork ribs and things like that? Cause that then, as well, because uh, it's a barbecue. Okay, good. I'm here. There's
3: something for everybody. No, just be. It'll be a vegetarian only barbecue, <laughs> <laughs> including the 2012 Ford night- Fiesta. We'll show you the.
5: A little sad that he had to jokingly refer to an all vegetarian barbecue as nightmarish. Although, that's the kind of lame joke I would make, so who am I to complain? Oh yeah, I'm a guy who loves to complain, so I'll keep going.
8: Longer-form
3: stuff, we do events, and people people were like, I love this, this is the meaty stuff that I really want to read.
5: It can be hard to kick the habit of using speciesist terms, the meaty stuff that I really want, etc, etc, in our daily speech. The vast majority of our cultures are not vegan, and in Joshua Topolsky's case, he sits on chairs made from skin, yada 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 yada. He is definitely not vegan, but hopefully that will change soon, especially if I send heaps of smart aleck tweets to his wife, you know, are you guys vegan, world Vegan day, you know, verge, the verge opening, world virgin day on world vegan day, huh huh, yeah, and I'm sure they'll want to follow me and start listening to my podcast as well, with that kind of witch. And speaking of someone else well-known in the tech industry, what about that Steve Jobs guy? He was vegan, right? Also from Twitch, being reported on by non-vegan host Leo Laporte. They gave commentary on a, on a I don't know what you'd call it, some weird old clip, a lot of staticky kind of grainy hissing tape hiss in the background some little ad talking thing of Steve Jobs talking about the way Apple does its advertising and he just happens to mention milk you know, milk does a body good and you need milk and got milk and all that kind of stuff and about how you can really sell the product without mentioning its technical benefits or in this case as Steve Jobs saw apparently, sort of at least he stated it milk isn't good for you which is quite surprising to hear someone say that the way to do
7: that is not to talk about speeds and fees It's not to talk about MIPS and megahertz. It's not to talk about why we're better than Windows. The dairy industry tried for 20 years to convince you that milk was good for you. It's a lie, but they tried anyway. And (laughs) the sales were going like this. And then they tried Got Milk, and the sales are going like this. Got Milk doesn't even talk about the product. Matter of fact, it focuses on the absence of the product. (laughs) But, but, But the best example of all and, and one of the greatest jobs of, of marketing in the, the universe has ever seen is Nike. Remember, Nike sells a commodity. They sell shoes. And yet when you think of Nike, you feel something different than a shoe company. In their ads, as you know, they don't ever talk about the product. They don't ever tell you about their air soles and why they're better than Reebok's air soles.
5: Or the starving orphans on Australia working 29 hours a day at sewing machines and getting chomped up alive.
7: What is Nike do in their advertising? They, they honor great athletes, and they honor great athletics. That's who they are. That's what they are about. Apple spends a fortune on advertising. You'd never know it.
3: <laughs> and, of course, that's what Steve Jobs is best at. Steve uh, was a dedicated vegan, a fervent vegan, as was his wife, Lorena. In fact, I think it was probably Lorene that got him... To be a vegan. I'm not sure, though. He, I think he always was a vegetarian. Uh, and he and Lorene at one point started a business, I remember, of uh, vegan uh, frozen food or f- vegan food that you could buy in a uh, grocery store. Married them, And uh, I have this picture, which I've always uh, kept in my mind, of Steve Jobs in his apartment in 1982. This is when he and his team were creating the Macintosh. Uh, this is how Steve lived. This man was a very wealthy man at the time. Uh, he did not have furniture, his stereo was on the floor, he was a very simple person, he did not like the frills of life, he was very focused on what he was doing, he wanted to change the world, and I think he was actually a deeply uh, spiritual guy, he was a vegan, Lorene was a vegan, Um, uh, I think for spiritual as well as health reasons, um, very, uh, I think, uh, I love this picture because this is the design sense that, in, that really it infuses all of Apple. Simplicity. No extra frills.
5: The angle so many reporters have taken on the so-called strict, radical, extreme veganism of Steve Jobs has been to hype it up that he was some kind of abstaining monk above the pleasures of the flesh, so to speak. I think a lot of these claims have been trumped up by non-vegan reporters covering the evolution of Steve Jobs into an all-powerful 2001 A Space Odyssey Star Child. The man who gave us the iPhone couldn't possibly die. That would mean he was mortal. (laughs) By claiming Jobs was vegan, it makes him out to be even weirder, more attention-grabbing. It gets more clicks for news stories when they make the guy out to be some zany Willy Wonka-esque character. I spoke with my friend, Edward, on his new podcast about Steve Jobs, the Dreamy Robot podcast. It was a rather odd interview. He didn't really have a direction. He just asked me when I was ready to go, and we're at completely different hours of the day. He's in Germany, I'm in New Zealand, and uh, we talked for a little bit, and I'm like, oh, hey, Edward, this is like the second time I've ever spoken to you in my life. We've emailed a couple times, but okay, it's nice to hear your very (laughs) difficult to understand accent when it's live and asking interrogating and scary-sounding questions but um he hung up the skype call for some reason and then rang me back instantly and he went on, um, released the interview unedited from there as you can hear
9: hello hi <laughs> here is edward uh, calling you from uh, germany uh, and uh, i'm have today with me jordan from new zealand so uh, jordan uh, you are located in new zealand correct
5: Yes, it's a wonderful country at the bottom of the world, and I recommend everyone come and visit or we'll live here, even better.
9: Yeah, so it's a fun place because we are 12 hours distance located. Mm. Um, time zones are wonderful, aren't they?
5: We're off to a roaring start with a fascinating, intriguing podcast episode.
9: And uh, you said, you know, as, a, as you are, uh, so to say, former British Empire, so you are well known in the UK. But I think Americans, for example, I am not sure that they know it. So it's a country located north of Australia, yes? South, south.
5: Oh my <laughs> God! <I> so <saw>. geography <laughs> okay. zero. But the only the only thing below, I live at the bottom of the South Island, and and New Zealand's shaped like Italy. We're both shaped kind of like a boot, like a foot or ah. a boot. We're both the kind of identical shaped countries. It's just um, it, opposite sides of the world, and. Uh, Here's the part where I act like I'm teaching a five-year-old a bunch of fun geography facts about my little country. If... On the exact opposite side of the world from New Zealand, if they, they talk about an earth sandwich. When people put a piece of bread on one on their part of the ground and then another person using GPS, they put a piece of bread on the other side. It's like an earth sandwich. It's the joke. And on the exact opposite side of the world from New Zealand is Spain. So Spain and New Zealand are directly opposite each ah, other I on, on the globe.
9: Uh, this is a good explanation. But you know, I have no idea about New Zealand. I know only the following things that it is uh, <laughs> um, Kiwiland, also known, because you have kiwi birds. No, or kiwi fruits.
5: Well, yeah, we we say kiwi for the for the birds and kiwi fruit, which is the Chinese gooseberry, and it was a branding thing in New Zealand to say that we called it the kiwi fruit, and it seems to be known as the kiwi f- fruit uh, in the rest you know, of the world. I
9: remember when I was living in Italy, there was uh, there was advertisements on buses with kiwi fruit and kiwi bird, and it was written that on near kiwi bird that this is exotic thing, and the kiwi fruit it's local thing.
5: So, (laughs) from there I explained a little bit about the kiwi fruit and how it's a fruit, and it was originally the Chinese gooseberry, and somehow New Zealand managed to steal it and brand it as the kiwi fruit, and we became well known for growing them here in New Zealand, and I suppose a kiwi fruit looks a bit like the kiwi, the bird, the... It's kind of chicken-looking bird, a brown chicken with a really huge beak, and native to New Zealand, and our symbol, unfortunately. Hey, look at my country. Everyone else gets eagles and hawks and falcons, and we get a huge, fat, brown chicken, but without the wonderful chicken friend goodness that chicken friends have. Instead, we get a big, fat, brown chicken that can't fly with a massive beak. Wow, congratulations. Um... I guess kiwi fruit. I suppose they kind of look like a kiwi, so yeah, kind of fuzzy brown covered thing and green on the inside. I don't know how often you guys scoop kiwi birds and you know open, if you pop them open. They've got a sort of green pulpy stuff inside, so yeah, kiwis, the birds, which we hate when you say kiwi birds like I just did before. and am oh, just digging myself into an even greater hole here, great. I'm digging all the way to Spain, apparently. As we learnt from that wonderful, terrific, totally fantastic geography lesson before... So, I spoke with my friend Edward on his podcast, and I talked with his many listeners about how I thought the media were hyping up any so-called veganism of Steve Jobs and Edward himself, who sees himself as someone who avoids eating most animals for perceived health reasons. He had many questions to me, and do you think his veganism caused his cancer? Oh, so you think if he really had been vegan, he would have lived to be a thousand? Because vegans cannot die or get cancer, or at least until they are in the quad digits, and Presumably he was serious about at least some of them. And I tried to be as rational as I could be. Well, my good friend, you have it exactly right. Vegans can't be stopped. We run on love and rainbows and hugs. No, I said that I knew very little about cancer. I'm a 24-year-old woodworker here. And, um, yeah, I don't know much about cancer at all, although many in my family have died from it. And uh, maybe if they were vegan, they wouldn't have died. No, I didn't say that. I said, if I did have the cure, I wouldn't be talking on our podcast, but would be cashing in. I've heard about simple infections in America costing patients over a thousand American bucks to fix. For a simple doctor's check and a bottle of pills, antibiotics. So imagine how much money there would be for a guy who could truly cure cancer. So we talked about it and basically we said, you know, veganism's probably got nothing to do either way with cancer. And there are some studies. The studies seem to say that the China study and forks over knives and things that seems to be good to be vegan or a plant-based diet for health reasons but that wasn't why I'm vegan and I explained how I'm vegan for ethical reasons and I look forward to the day when we respect all animals just like we respect women and other people and we respect children and we respect kiwi and kiwi fruits and we're not always scooping them open to eat the pulpy green stuff inside and I said I was looking forward to the day when the national bird of New Zealand was the chicken friend so that crappy kiwi here are some clips from the Steve Jobs biography itself by Walter Isaacson about the many, crazy, ever-changing dietary fads of Steve Jobs. At least as reported on by the non-vegan author, who mispronounced vegan as "vegan." on some of the mainstream interviews I've seen. He would bring up the topic of this vegan guy who believed in alternative medicine and perhaps in magic. Well, as we all know, the only magic in this world lies inside the iPad. Apple have patented the hell out of it. If you listen to these clips, most are roughly a couple years apart, but some are separated by merely a month or two, where Steve Jobs would have a public tantrum about a dairy product being served to his table in a restaurant, and then, about a month or two later, he'd demand cow's milk products at apple events along with fish and goat's milk, and it's all some kind of control thing, the need to be different, quickly changing his radical fad diets, just for the hell of it I guess. We find out about one of Steve Jobs' first jobs, cleaning animal experimentation equipment, torture devices. These clips are centered around events in the 1980s and early 1990s. His radical or strict or rigid vegan or vegetarian or fruitarian diet keeps cropping up every now and then throughout the whole book, though. So my basic basic theory on all this is that the non-vegan biographer Walter Isaacson... He brought it up in interviews, he was vegan, you know, and he believed in this and he believed in that. And it was all sort of attention grabbing for the book and just to make it more interesting and to get people interested. Makes him sound weirder and more radical and crazy. If he's this radical and strict and extreme vegan all the time. This one clip pretty much sums it all up.
1: In the meantime, Jobs eked out a bohemian existence on the fringes of Reed. He went barefoot most of the time, wearing sandals when it snowed. Elizabeth Holmes made meals for him, trying to keep up with his obsessive diets. He returned soda bottles for spare change, continued his treks to the free Sunday dinners at the Hare Krishna temple, and wore a down jacket in the heatless garage apartment he rented for $20 a month. When he needed money, he found work at the psychology department lab maintaining the electronic equipment that was used for animal behavior experiments
5: So that pretty much sums it all up. He didn't have any kind of ethical reason for being vegan. He wasn't an animal rights activist. It was some kind of fad diet thing all the time and he was sort of vegan or he was vegetarian or he wore jackets made out of feathers from killed birds or he helped work on (laughs) cleaning animal experimentation, you know, torture equipment or this or that or dairy products and he walked barefoot. He was just interested in being very different, I think, and trying different things all the time, radical fad diets. And yeah, veganism gets brought up a lot in the book.
1: For his part, Jobs was upset that the Germans kept trying to feed him meat and potatoes.
5: Because vegans aren't allowed to eat potatoes, you know.
1: They don't even have a word for vegetarian, he complained incorrectly in a phone call to Alcorn. There was also the issue of his hygiene. He was still convinced, against all evidence, that his vegan diets meant that he didn't need to use a deodorant or take regular showers. We would have to literally put him out the door and tell him to go take a shower, said Markala. At meetings, we had to look at his dirty feet. Sometimes to relieve stress, he would soak his feet in the toilet, a practice that was not as soothing for his colleagues usually accomplished by Jobs' preferred mode of meeting, which was taking a walk together. My very first walk was to tell him to bathe more often, Scott recalled. He said that in exchange, I had to read his fruitarian diet book and consider it as a way to lose weight. Scott never adopted the diet or lost much weight, and Jobs made only minor modifications to his hygiene. Steve was adamant that he bathed once a week, and that was adequate as long as he was eating a fruitarian diet. the case was resolved, Jobs began to move on with his life, maturing in some respects, though not all. He put aside drugs, eased away from being a strict vegan.
5: Right, because veganism is some silly fad for the immature, which we all grow out of, on par with taking illegal drugs or walking around barefoot right? And
1: cut back the time he spent on zen retreats. He began getting stylish haircuts and buying suits and shirts from the upscale San Francisco haberdashery Wilkes-Bashford. They then headed off to the Four Seasons Restaurant, a shimmering haven of elegance and power. As Jobs ate a special vegan meal, Scully described Pepsi's marketing successes. Leesy had brought a pan and made vegetarian omelettes. Jobs had edged away from his strict vegan diet for the time being. Kapoor began slathering butter on his bread. Jobs asked him, Have you ever heard of serum cholesterol? Kapoor responded, I'll make you a deal. You stay away from commenting on my dietary habits, and I will stay away from the subject of your personality. Jobs demanded a vegan meal, but the waiter very elaborately proceeded to dish out a sauce filled with sour cream. Jobs got so nasty that Hoffman had to threaten him. She whispered that if he didn't calm down, she was going to pour her hot coffee on his lap. He helped prepare each of the slides as Jobs fretted over everything from the wording to the right hue of green to serve as the background color. I like that green, he said proudly as they were doing a trial run in front of some staffers. Great green, great green, they all murmured in assent. No detail was too small. Jobs went over the invitation list and even the lunch menu. Mineral water, croissants, cream cheese, bean sprouts. And some of the apple veterans who did not take to the goat cheese and salmon mousse that was served met after the party, and went out to eat at a Denny's. Her father, whose dietary fixations came in fanatic waves, was more fastidious about what he ate. She watched him spit out a mouthful of soup one day after learning that it contained butter. After loosening up a bit while at Apple, he was back to being a strict vegan. Even at a young age, Lisa began to realize his diet obsessions reflected a life philosophy, one in which asceticism and minimalism could heighten subsequent sensations. He believed that great harvests came from arid sources, pleasure from restraint, she noted. He knew the equations that most people didn't know. Things led to their opposites. Cake was in the shape of half-dome the granite crest at the end of Yosemite Valley, but since it was strictly vegan, devoid of eggs, milk, or any refined products, more than a few of the guests found it inedible.
5: Veganism is nothing to do with shunning refined products, although maybe some vegans, many, maybe, possibly, hardly any, who knows vegans might choose to do that but veganism is simply avoiding harming other animals and killing other animals whenever possible within reason we try our best not to do anything that hurts or kills someone else nothing to do with refined products being the devil and yeah vegan cake being inedible Because when I serve up my mint chocolate mud cake, people go, Yo, Jordan, after having this one solitary crumb of this cake, I'm aware that there's no bird's eggs or milk taken from another animal in this thing, right? This crappy cake is inedible, as they hurl it at a passing car. Right? Well, no, not quite. People have uniformly and unanimously enjoyed my vegan cakes, and no, it's not because I'm the dreaded vegan police and I'm ready to go American police department on their asses if asses or asses as we'd say here, if they politely disagree. I really think the biographer of the book Walter Isaacson trumped up all the weird, radical, strict, demanding fair diets of Steve Jobs, often bringing them up for no reason other than to add flavor to the book. You know the same flavor that's lacking from vegan cake. Here's a fun story A local news story about making a model from actual dead animals bodies to improve x-ray scanning of recently killed bodies at your friendly neighborhood slaughterhouse. An Invercargill designer believes his business has achieved a world first in prototype development, making a lifelike lamb carcass from polyurethane with bones intact. Invercargill-based design and prototype company 1.61, no idea how you say that, has spent the past six months designing and building two lamb carcasses that are being used to improve automated x-ray imaging and conveyor machines and meat plants. Company director Derek Manson said the latest one, made from polyurethane and known as the Phantom, had been completed this week and was being used to calibrate lamb x-ray machines so that cuts from carcasses could be weighed in uniform in meat plants. The carcass weighed about 20 kilograms, similar to that of a one-year-old New Zealand lamb and was the closest artificial thing to an organic body for x-ray purposes, he said. He had heard of human phantoms used for processes such as radiography, but not about a sheep phantom, and because New Zealand companies were typically at the forefront of lamb processing techniques, it was likely to be the first polyurethane lamb carcass in the world, he said. Such a thing to be proud of. The process began with cutting a real carcass up, then he had to strip all the meat and tissue from the bones before making a mould to put them back into form, the carcass, he said. Dunedin-based Scott Technology is the client for the carcasses, and specialises in the design and manufacture of automated production and process machinery. In other words, giant robotic arms with stainless steel blades that spin and cut and sort of jaws of life-looking things that cut heads off, Scott Technology Project Manager Ryan Coatsworth said the company was was installing four automated processing systems for silver Fern farms that would x-ray carcasses and calculate the weight of what what each primal piece would be as if it had been cut. That's pretty gross to think about. That information would be given to farmers and they would use it for genetic breeding programs to give them a higher payback in the future, he said. Isn't that lovely? Great. That's something to be proud of Invercargill for. Although, thank- thankfully, as the mere mentions, we're most well-known for vegan podcasts. An editorial from the Southern Times on our Department of Conservation's latest poison drop. Swell. Blue cod around Ulva Island have tested positive for a broder for and I know... I know. Broderphagum, F- no idea. I always forget to say that. 1080, the poison used in the recent Blitzkrieg on rats, and just a heads up. Unlike you know your, mate, your old mate Jordan, who always knows how to pronounce the names of different poisons, <laughs> though they're normally called 1080. Just a heads up. Our esteemed local newspaper misspelt Blitzkrieg. You can't correct simple mistakes after you've printed tens of thousands of copies, and apparently they couldn't be bothered correcting the mistake on the website either. Bye-bye print media, although, like I said, I couldn't be bothered working out You say, yeah, 1080. Only two fish so far, and the quantity in them is so small that someone would have to consume the livers of 360 blue cod for a measurable effect. And yet, the heart sinks. Further testing must now be carried out to clarify the measurable extent of the problem. What other species may also be affected? and whether there is any proposal of not only marine damage, but any potential public health risk. Doc has, of course, recommended people avoid taking fish or shellfish within 100 metres of Ulva Island until all tests are clear. Because, you know, those fish, they're never known for swimming, and there's no way a fish could swim more than 100 metres, you know. (laughs) They just sort of spin round and round and round and round in circles, and within a few metres space. That's all fish really want, right? None of which necessarily means that the drop was itself a bad idea after all, or even that there was any practical alternative to addressing the problem of a resurgent rat population, which Doc was adamant could not be trapped out of existence. The department has a limited range of tools to deal with the continuing threat of rats on the island, a precious sanctuary of native bird life that is also open to the public. The poison drop was carried out carried out after public consultation and with the general support of a public that was well aware of the need to protect the beloved bird life of one of the south's most rightly celebrated islands. There are times though when it seems as every way we turn we wind up messing up the environment. Of course our department of conservation have made other little mistakes when they're not busy shooting to death introduced species like the Auckland Island pigs, to save them from eating native plants on Antarctic islands in the middle of blinking nowhere, we end up with a bunch of endangered snail popsicles.
10: 800 rare giant snails have been accidentally frozen to death in a Department of Conservation cool room in Hokitika. There was a technical glitch and the temperature dropped from 10 degrees down to zero. Here's Jessica Rowe. Feeding worms to the survivors, dock staff are taking extra precautions after 800 giant snails were frozen to death.
6: It was actually a temperature probe failure. Basically it went into a chilling cycle and took it down to about zero degrees and froze them basically.
10: Forest and Bird is appalled. Obviously we're pretty devastated about the snails, they're they're hanging on the edge of extinction anyway, Um, but unfortunately this wasn't surprising. We predicted that putting all your eggs in one basket was always going to have high risks. Four years ago Doc took just under 6,000 of the snails from the Stockton Plateau to make way for Solid Energy's open cast coal mine. The Green Party says they should have been kept in their natural habitat.
11: It shows the risk with this kind of um, approach to looking after species, that you know one mistake can actually put a whole species
10: at risk. About 4,000 snails had already been released into a new habitat, but half of the remaining 1,600 snails still living in Tupperware weren't so lucky. If these snails were a tuatara or a kiwi or a panda, we'd have a whole different situation. Even though they're endangered, Doc says the snails are good captive breeders and the loss should be recovered in two to three years. Jessica Rowe, 3 News.
5: The snail cause has long been sensationalised. Oh, those bloody greenies, they protest coal mining that would bring in billions upon billions of dollars to the New Zealand economy to save a few bloody snails. Well, I for one am proud of my nation's over 70% reliance on renewable energy. We generally don't have any coal burning power stations. I hope we can refuse to use any coal burning power stations and fossil fuels as much as possible. If it has to be spun into, they won't let us mine because it would destroy the precious little snails. Then, so be it. But how about not keeping living animals in Tupperware lunchbox containers in a big refrigerator Instead, letting them live naturally out in the wild, yes? Another story, new dairy rules criticised. Environment Southland's draft region-wide dairy farming policy has been criticised by farmers concerned at what they say is a lack of consultation. New rules are expected to come in before Christmas to protect the region's waterways. A draft region-wide policy meant new dairy farms associated dairy grazing and their related activities will be deemed a discretionary activity and will have to comply with resource consent conditions. Dairy New Zealand Chief Executive Dr Tim Mackle said the organisation was deeply disappointed the rules have been developed without any engagement with the dairy sector or wider farming community. They would cause significant uncertainty to farmers and service industries, which relied on their business across Southland, he said. Dairy NZ will be working with farmers to understand the implications of the proposed rules. We are concerned that Environment Southland are proposing to notify the rules with little or no understanding of the implications upon farming. Dr. Mackle believed if farmers were given the opportunity to work with a regional council, then more sustainable social, economic cultural and environmental outcomes could be achieved. (sighs) What the Dairy New Zealand boss man really means was, hey, don't bite the hand that gives you money. That's how the saying goes, right? We run this crummy little region. We're big industry. We make the rules around here. Yes, 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 yes. 89% of southern rivers are of quote, poor water condition. But surely, we can't be sure of where all this pollution is coming from, right? I mean, it couldn't be all the cow crap, sorry, effluent, sorry, farm runoff, sorry, have to sugarcoat it further, get my big old bag of sugar going here, nutrients, dairy nutrients, they sometimes say, but even if it is, environmental protection agencies and the huge dairy industry should work together, do a study, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. All that useless wheel spinning. Oh, we're looking into the matter. Oh, we're promising to have an audit. Oh, we're going to look into our practices. And, you know, it just goes round and round and round. You're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, Radio, INV, SOC, where we play all the hits. This one's going out to the farmers. The Coast is with Charlie Brown.
2: classroom cool and slow who calls the english teacher daddy yo charlie brown charlie brown he's a clown that charlie brown he's gonna get caught yes you wait and see
9: why is everybody always picking on me
5: Poor, poor little farmers. Only 99% of the country buys their product and we export it all round the world and all they get is a little grumble every now and then and it's always about their poor wallets being inhumanely exploited by all these greenies and regulations. Oh, the woe, all the troubles of being a farmer. Last Sunday, not one, but Two television channels ran segments on factory farming. I'd like to cover the one on the latest welfare expose of New Zealand egg farms. I hate calling them that. As someone with hen friends, what an awful place, and to so casually say, oh, that's just an egg farm. It doesn't do the atrocities within justice. The other video is about New Zealand Open Rescue where the activists are featured, their daily jobs, their goals for New Zealand Open Rescue to focus and end so-called factory farming. I'll link to both videos in my show notes.
11: Kia ora, I'm Our chooks like...
5: Ugh. The second word in the whole damn story, chooks, chooks, chooks. I hate that term, I really do. It's an Australian slang word and implies dumb, dull, oh just it's a silly old chook. It's sort of whimsical, it's not a respectful, beautiful word. It's a slur in my book. To so my beautiful little hen friends, they're just little chooks, dumb little chooks.
11: A, a billion eggs every year, and between us we eat about 230 or 19 dozens each. We love eggs, but here's the rub. Sunday has been supplied pictures shot by animal activists who broke into some battery hen farms. The footage shows eggs being produced in what appears to be disturbing conditions. We've discovered chickens
10: crawling with vermin. An egg's bound for your table lying beside dead and rotting carcasses, so...
5: They're certainly not destined for my table, mister. I'm vegan. Who's
11: enforcing the rules governing battery hen farming? This from Ian Sinclair. Oh. There. If you're asked to go, we will go. It's the battle of the birds.
2: Next time you come on the property, you'll get done.
11: Animal activists versus farmers. We want those birds out of the cages. And a question When is it okay to break the rules? Breach of the code is not an offence under the act. Eggs, just how we love them. But could this be where your breakfast eggs came from? Lying in the trough beside a dead battery hen. All in undercover footage gathered in a battery farm in New Zealand by animal rights activists.
4: They found absolutely appalling conditions.
11: This video was shown to Sunday by safe spokesman, Hans Creek.
4: The footage was given to me by fellow activists who have been investigating a number of farms. They actually went to visit eight farms in New Zealand.
11: He says activists found evidence three of those eight farms were operating outside of the code governing the welfare of chooks. This footage shows graphic evidence from one of the farms.
4: What they found there is dead birds in cages, They found rotting birds in cages. They found incredibly filthy conditions. cobwebs all over the
11: place. That's bird manure on the floor and another dead bird right below the eggs we eat. Inside the shed, activists don't stop at just filming. They take six birds with
5: them to check their welfare. I hope not. Hmm, how's your welfare going? Oh, yes, i give you a full medical examination. Okay, time to drop you back off at the egg farm. But rather to respect their Steve Jobs given rights, to be respected as our fellow animals, as our friends, I'd rather prefer they went out and to live their lives away from the property paradigm. So these chicks were taken from a farm. That's theft, isn't it?
4: Well, I'd like to call it rescue birds. I mean, you wouldn't probably ask me this question if this would be abused children. One of the birds is in extremely poor condition and I don't think she's going to survive.
11: She's dubbed Mrs McCaw.
4: My wife called her Mrs McCaw after Richie McCaw.
5: I should mention, Richie McCaw is the All Blacks captain the national rugby team of New Zealand and he's very well known and strong and a hero of New Zealand.
4: Because he's a battler and she thinks she's a battler too.
11: Mrs. McCaw is one of 7,000 battery hens on this farm, producing an estimated 2 million eggs a year.
4: If people knew where their eggs came from, they probably wouldn't be buying them. Mm.
11: Conditioned, sick and dying. Would there be any health risk to eating an egg from a bird like that? Well, I
4: certainly wouldn't be eating egg that rolls out of a cage like
11: that.
5: Well, Hans, you're vegan. You shouldn't be eating eggs from anywhere, as, as you and I both know. And I don't think you would, and I think that's really a missed opportunity for speaking about veganism. No, I don't eat birds' eggs when directly asked such a question.
4: Um, you know, we, we have seen eggs in, lying in trays where, with, uh, next to dead birds. I mean, it's absolutely disgusting, and uh, you, you've got to wonder uh, what the New Zealand public would think of that. Most people wouldn't expect that to happen, I think.
11: All this, says SAFE, in a farm with cages banned in the Layer Hen Code of Welfare. The main issue the old type of doors. Farmers had until 2008 to get rid of cages like this. They were banned because the doors are quite small. You pull the door up and you can damage the bird pulling it out.
5: You can damage her, you can hurt her. I really think we should move away from calling other animals it. We know that she is a she because they're hens. They're abusing her to steal the product of her reproductive system, her unfertilized eggs, which male birds, in this case with chickens, roosters, don't lay eggs. So she's obviously a hen, a she. And when in doubt, I go, they? How are they doing? Oh, when was the last time you saw them? Etc. She's not an it. You're talking about not damaging an it. Like, she's property that'll get chipped or, you know, sort of get like a, a loose bit or maybe a bit'll break off it, the property. You're talking about hurting her. So, they were supposed to have been replaced with
11: cages looking like this. With a door that runs right across the front. So you can open it out and remove the bird, hopefully, without injuring it. Injuring her.
4: The way the farmer removes the birds, and you know they do thousands of them, is by sticking their hand in the cage, grabbing the bird by the legs and then pulling the bird out. So you can imagine, if the door opening is only this big, yanking a bird out of that little hole, if the bird flaps its wings, for instance. Flaps her wings, flaps her wings. Then the wings get stuck. And that can clearly cause injury. In in this particular instance, we have actually footage of a wing hanging in a cage, so what's that wing doing there by itself? So this could have all been ripped off when the bird was removed. But it's not just us saying that, that these doors were inadequate, this is actually the National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee saying that these doors were inadequate, and this is the reason why they banned those cages.
5: So here comes the focus of this current affairs news segment. Oh no, the cages that we use to trap beautiful little hens in here, they have naughty little doors that are too small and we need to make the cage doors larger. Otherwise, it's inhumane. You know... The cage doors, which are open to put the young hens inside and then generally only open to drag older hens out for slaughter to be killed for the crime of having a less frequent female reproductive cycle for being too old and hence a waste of grain and space. It's a bloody disgrace. I don't believe New Zealand Open Rescue or SAFE would have went to the media with a new campaign against two small cage doors which might hurt a hen's wings when she's dragged out by some guy on minimum wage about to kill her for being too old, too old, like she's a character in Logan's Run, with a glowing red crystal on her wing. Presumably the media picked this angle from the footage recorded, from the interviews given. They went with, The doors are too small, it's a bloody outrage. Like reporting on Steve Jobs and his freaky vegan diet, which he picks up for a week at a time, then drops and becomes vehemently, radically, totally over the top, extremist, fundamentalist vegan all over again. Surely it's a matter of how and what the media have decided is the big focus, their big scoop. Safer asking for not battery cages, more so than we want bigger battery cage doors. There is a troubling, wholly safe-produced recent video on YouTube, though, in which Hans Creek mentions, if we want to farm them, we can do so much better than battery cages or colony cages, you know, free reign. Just
4: as the problem we have, we have now a situation that the government wants to phase out this, in favour of this, in 15 years' time. I mean, you put them on top of each other, you see that there's barely any difference for the birds. And those uh, so-called enrichments that they put in, really, good are just not good enough. And in New Zealand, we have a perfect uh, country to actually farm these animals outdoors, and there's problems with that, but they can be overcome. But if we want to farm them, we can do so much better. So my impression of this was that it was an animal concentration camp. I don't mean any words about that. It was absolute horror for the animals.
5: In New Zealand, we have a perfect country to actually farm these animals outdoors. And there's problems with that, but they can be overcome. But if we want to farm them, we can do so much better. I wish vegan Hans Creek had suggested why we wouldn't want to quote farm other animals. To treat them as lesser things is our property instead of our much beloved little friends.
11: Are we eggs from that farm?
12: No. Unacceptable. And no sh- neither should New Zealand consumers. The message from the
11: Egg Producers Federation, don't judge all 130 farms by this footage.
12: We know that the 99% of the farmers in this country meet the code. We, we uh, have Those guidelines are in place and we ask that people meet the code, we require that they meet the code, and we ask MAF to ensure people do meet the code.
11: Then Michael Brooks revealed his Federation had already alerted MAF about most of the farm's safe claims are in breach several years ago.
12: I actually did know about two of those three farms and I have raised it with MAF previously. The third one I did not, but I uh, Ask all the time from industry any feedback, so we do know we do take inquiries. As I said to you, we take this matter seriously. These matters have been raised, so if we believe there are people who breach the code, we report it. So, are there any more? Not that we're aware of, but if anyone has any information, report it to us, and we'll report it to MAF or report it directly to MAF. We want the code enforced, and that's the reason we would ask for action to be taken. It's a slur on the rest of the industry. It does not represent what this industry stands for and what the standards in this industry represent. And it's totally unfair to demonise and characterise a whole industry by somebody who's not meeting the standards if that's proved to be verifiable.
11: Next up, has MAF failed to enforce the regulations for battery farms? Non-meeting
8: the code does not automatically mean there's animal cruelty.
11: ...use hidden cameras to record the owner's response. And they would claim the cages were MAF approved.
10: We are math approved approved and we've got our RMP, we've got everything.
5: So math have inspected the... um... Yeah,
10: everybody has.
5: So the farmers were rattling off all the animal welfare certifications they have as though we should simply accept, we have X certification, everything is great. Buy our birds eggs at your nearest supermarket today. I prefer animal rights groups didn't invent new humane or welfare-approved labels to bestow on those who hurt and kill other animals. As you can see, they're meaningless because these farms are so awful with dead birds and crap everywhere and all kinds of things, the cage doors are too small. They meet, apparently, all these crazy, different humane things and inspections, except for the ones that they don't meet, and as we find out, those also don't mean anything. Sunday was told we were picking on the wrong farm. If you really want a story,
11: go find out what's going on up there because there's some bad shit going on up there.
5: <laughs> so this farmer is selling out some other farmer nearby that he apparently knows is up to some quote bad shit. Surely he should be reporting this bad shit to the wonderful government departments in charge of maintaining such high levels of animal welfare, right? Then indignation turned to anger. <laughs> I'll get
12: angry. <laughs>
11: It seemed not everyone wanted to explain. Now, if you're asked to go, we will go. Fair enough. No, no, we're not. quite happy it's to go.
2: Show. you're out, You're now. quite entitled go. to ask us to go. Next time you come on the property, you will get and f- done for trespassing. Wasn't
11: but others felt we should stay. Come on, take your show and your We asked them about the condition of those chickens. Safe spokesman Hans Creek had shown us. They got six birds. Yep. Okay, and they took them to the vet. Yep. And the vet wrote a report. So they and I just,
2: stole. So they stole no. as well. Yeah, oh, they yeah. what? So so they got you You're dealing they with what? criminals. They basically. got six.
11: Oh. Oh, come with me. I want to take. The people running the farm showed us where they say the animal activists had broken in to steal their chickens.
10: We were actually thinking somebody was actually stealing eggs. To tell you the truth, you know, times are hard.
11: Broken paneling could be seen. Hans Creek insists the activists did not break any property, but went in through a section of wall that was already damaged. Are you worried about prosecution? Not
4: worried at all. Bring it on, I would say, uh, because we believe that rescuing animals from places that abuse animals uh, is not going to have any repercussions whatsoever. And I think the New Zealand public would stand behind us as well on this one.
11: They insisted on taking us to a nearby shed where they showed us their controversial cages. The cages are know. twice as big I as think anybody I mean. else's cages. But we see those doors banned by the code of conduct for farmers more than three years ago. They go into the cage once and then they yeah. come Yes, but but we were told it's a mere technicality. It's legislation that says that that what is the problem with the door? And MAF admits they can't necessarily force the farmers to follow the code. Provided
8: they can show or they're satisfied that there is no uh, breach of the Animal Welfare Act, in other words no offences that have been committed against that Act, then. There is no, uh, we we can recommend, we can require them to change it, but it is not an offence.
11: MAF Head of Compliance Jeff Allen says staff keep all farms under regular scrutiny. The MAF inspectors,
8: either the food safety inspectors or the animal welfare inspectors, inspect all of those farms at least once a year.
11: He does concede a number of farms may be breaching the code governing chicken farmers, but they won't be prosecuted unless there's also evidence that the bird's welfare is harmed by the breach. So am I right then in understanding that if they have doors that don't comply with the code, that your people have seen them and done nothing? If if the people that have seen them and noted
8: that because they were there, there was breach of animal welfare legislation,
11: they would have done plenty. Can you understand why the public might be confused about this policy? Yes, I, I, can, I can see
8: that, but that is the legislation and that is the requirements that I have to meet and I have to stay within the law. Okay? Regardless of, of uh, uh, the, the, uh, the personal beliefs or, or changes that I have or that anyone, any of the inspectors have, uh, the law is the law and it is not my business to work outside it.
5: What a terrible position to fall back on. Hey, 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 I might find the stuff I have to sign off on as the guy in charge to be terrible, but it's my job. I can't change the law. I just do my job. I turn a blind eye and say it's A-OK. You can't change the law. Sounds rather like, but we were just following orders. Here the segment ends with Safe giving us suggestions on how to help the millions of sweet little hens suffering in New Zealand.
4: So I really call on people that if they see this footage, and if they don't like it, for them to stop buying battery eggs, because that's the only way we can stop this ongoing
5: cruelty. I'd kick it up a notch. As someone who looks after some nice hens, including two rescued hens from a local battery farm, I mean, I've seen how they look. I've seen how they're missing feathers all over, how their general health is just utterly crap. How they got bony bits that stick out and just their wings, their beaks have been singed and cut and de-beaked, as they call it. They're just, they're thrashed. They've, they've just had the hell beaten out of them. Just unimaginable pain and suffering. All their miserable little lives, their existences in those cages. And the issue sure as hell isn't the cage doors were too small. And I know for a fact they were, no doubt, dragged out by their feet, dragged out flapping their beaten up wings, which have bashed against the sides of the wire cages all their life. You can see how sort of thread bear is the easiest way to describe it, feather bear, their sort of little spines from their feathers are, and they still haven't recovered their main wing feathers. And one hen, she'd been badly picked her whole life, and she was missing all the feathers from around her neck. She had this massive bald sort of spot, Um, sort of like the stripe on a bowling pin or on Daffy Duck, you know, the sort of stripe that he has. (laughs) Um... It was It's just awful to see this awful pink flesh where you can see it's all sort of scarred and everything from where feathers should be. And you know, after living here a couple months, she's grown those feathers back, and it's really nice that she's managed to recover now that she's safe and she's free from these bloody awful farms. The solution isn't asking for larger cage doors. How about we respect everyone? Let's talk about veganism, please. How we can stop harming and killing over 56 billion other animals each year. Welfare standards don't mean much as we've just heard from the people in charge, and the same old welfare exposés run time and time again. SAFE have been against battery cages in New Zealand for over 20 years now, and when the media do decide to give any animal rights, in this case, strictly animal welfare, stories a bit of attention... It's about the woefully small cage doors, because we all know hens deserve to be dragged feet first out of nice, large doors to get the lovely knife through their throats, or to have their head snapped, or what other lovely method of being executed is on the menu today. On vegans who say they are not ready to hear the vegan message, they're not ready yet, they're not ready, that we have to take things glacially slow, asking for five atoms more cage space before our mortal lives are over. I don't know about you, but on turning 24 this year, I've started hearing footsteps behind my back. The grim spectre of death ever lurks near us all. Some people like their laced soy maloco to slow down. Hey Jordan, they are not ready for vegan activism. we got to help animals suffering today by spending our mortal lives asking for five atoms more cage space to be put into place when you've had your 44th birthday.
0: And you were sort of hypnotised by your boot or shoe or a fingernail, as it might be. And at the same time, you were sort of picked up by the old scruff and shook like it might be a cat. You got shook and shook till there was nothing left. You lost your name and your body and yourself and you just didn't care. And you waited till your boot or your fingernail got yellow, then yellower and yellower all the time. Then the light started cracking like atomics and the boot or fingernail or as it might be a bit of dirt on your trouser bottom turned into a big, big, big misto, bigger than the whole world and you were just going to get introduced to old Bog or God when it was all over. You came back to here and now whimpering sort of with your rot all squaring up for a boo-hoo-hoo. Now, That's very nice, but very cowardly. You were not put on this earth just to get in touch with God. That sort of thing could sap all the strength and the goodness out of a chelovec. What's it going to be then, eh?
13: Down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones. Looking for fun and feeling groovy. Feeling groovy.
0: What's it going to be then, eh?
5: Barkeep, I'll have my swim a loco with dream crumb, please.
0: That was me. That is Alex, and my three droogs. That is Pete, Georgie, and Dim. And we sat in the Kurova Milk Bar, trying to make up our Razzu Docs what to do with the evening. The Kurova Milk Bar sold Milk Plus. Milk Plus Velocet, or Synthamesc, or Drencrum, which is what we were drinking. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old...
5: Vegan-activism. Although, As a non-alcohol, non-drug-taking person, I'm sure we can do without such mind-altering soy milks, before promoting respect for others. Let's trust in that message, that all animals are equal, and if we need anything to be sharpened up, may it be the edges on our local vegan society's logo. Let's up the pace. Promote veganism as easy, as the least other animals deserve. Let's go full speed ahead in our stolen Durango 95s. Asking for veganism, respect for all, marching to the funky beat you of know, the greatest disco song of me. all time.
13: She could keep on because the force has got a lot of power and it makes me feel like that. It, it makes me feel like that. <laughs> <laughs>
5: that level of Black Michael Jackson crotch-grabbing funk, how could we possibly lose? The vegan force really does have a lot of power in it, trying to keep this analogy going. Listen to what a few passionate family members can accomplish.
8: The following is Michael's original 1978 demo recording of Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Assorted percussion including kibasa, cowbell and glass bottles were played by Michael, brother Randy and sister Janet.
13: Mm-hmm.
9: I'm pretty sure I can't see how i
13: I can am pretty sure I I'm pretty sure I can't see One, two, three, four.
4: got be starting now, baby.
13: Don't stop till you get enough. Don't stop till you get enough.
5: goes to show what happens when you give the world's most talented musical family well okay Michael was talented when you give the world's most talented musician of all time a multi-million dollar recording studio and a couple brothers and sisters ready to bang hopefully soy milk bottles and little cymbals and banging things and synths and who knows what other crazy stuff
13: Moonlight, yeah Good times mm-hmm. okay. you just got the Sunshine, yeah Moonlight Good times
5: good times okay. don't you blame it Factory farming
13: You just got
5: the self stall You just wanna Battery cage doors that are too small Yeah, oh
13: Blame it on yourself Sunshine. Ain't nobody's farming somewhere.
5: Let's blame it on the boogie, where boogie equals a culture of non-veganism that seems to be all pervasive and it's everywhere and it seems like there's nothing we can do about it. But we can do something about it. We can blame it on ourselves, as Michael so helpfully suggests. Uh, I think we can stretch that out to mean let's take personal responsibility for our own actions and look at what we can do to make the world a better place, to see what we're responsible for in our own lives each day. What we wear, what we do to others, what we pay to go and see and what we pay to have happen really to other animals good. and how they're when disrespected. Let's look at what we can do. Right Let's blame it on the non-veganism.
13: As I turned up the collarbone, my favourite winter coat, this wind is blowing my mind. I see the kids in the street, but not enough to eat, who am I to be blind? i broken.
5: Change that we're we'll all been making, it's not that difficult to be vegan in 2011. As a young man living in New Zealand, I can personally attest that it's as easy for me to be vegan as not. Listening to the previous World Vegan Day episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, 27 vegans from all around the world were featured. Barbara, Adam, Roger, Carolyn, Ronnie, Deborah, Michael, Raphael, Thomas, Diana, Ian, Emmy, Claire, Jeff, Tim, Michael, Annie, Asher, Denise, Neve, Tekoha, Yolanda, Dan, Catherine, Alicia, Sophie, Corey Lee. Veganism is spreading. There are more vegans every day, all around the world. We are ready to promote veganism. The world is vegan if we want it. It's not difficult to speak with non-vegans about animal rights. Veganism. It's not like you'll zoom away from their interest, leaving them wondering what just happened. Although, some people want to be sped away to the other side of the world, swept off their feet by a New Zealand maniac, especially after they've been traumatised by 20 odd years stuck in some country without the metric system, where a (laughs) World series consists of one lousy country playing some internationally unknown sport.
13: Get a fast car I want a ticket to anywhere Maybe we make a deal Maybe together we can get somewhere Any place is better Starting from zero, got nothing to lose Maybe we'll make something Me, myself, I got nothing to prove
5: We're trying to get away from a terrible system of exploitation When your house is burning down Slow down, you're moving too fast. You don't muck around. You grab your iPhone, iPad, iPod, iMac, then, if there's time, your significant other, and get the frig out of there. Like that fad diet having Steve Jobs character, real vegans can't look back or even turn back. Or else we suffer a fate worse than death. You know, like Lord Voldemort and he's that kind of shadowy little midget thing running around the magical forests sucking unicorn blood or whatever to survive. Yeah, a fate worse than death. The ex-vegan. I decided to be vegetarian in the last days of 2006 for New Year's Eve 2007. Lucky seven. It seemed fitting for all the animals saved from sure death, albeit from not being born into slavery in the first place. By 2009, I decided to be fully vegan. I found the links between different harms, different deaths of other animals. Veganism avoids this exploitation as much as possible. If you know someone interested in veganism, who hasn't yet dabbled their toe in the water, Give them a friendly SHOVE. Suggest they consider veganism for their New Year's Eve resolution. Suggest some simple meal plans to try it first. Perhaps share your favourite vegan podcast with them. (coughs) Talk to them in these two months before the end of the world, sorry, the end of the year. Share all kinds of blogs and recipes and invite them over to dinner quite often. Hey, it's easy to be vegan, and I think it's what other animals deserve. Not to be seen as things or to be called an it, to be seen as just items, as property, but respected and to be treated the way we'd like to be treated, to be recognized as sentient beings, to be respected and recognized as our friends. Ara ask not what your New Year's resolution can do for you, but what your New Year's resolution can do for others. As Mayor Quimby might say. You've got to move, come on, come on, you've got to stand up, stand up, make that change. Stand up and lift yourself now, man in the mirror. Who, who, who? ow, yeah, make that change, gonna make that change, come on, man in the mirror. You know it, you know it, you know it, you know it, change, make that change. We can all decide to be vegan, and it makes a real difference. It's just a small step in our own lives, and it makes a big difference to the millions and billions and tens of billions, the 56 billions of other animals suffering and being killed each and every year. Let's change the world, beginning with our own actions. An ethic for respect for all, vegan education, and 1970s Michael Jackson tracks blaring from our boombox slash iPhone. Let's change the world. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at coexistingwithnonhumananimals.co.nz if you'd like to contact me, I'd really love to hear from you. Please send me an email to info at invsoc.org.nz. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, Jordan Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T. Thank you for listening. Away from the ocean of animals
3: as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan, it's easy, it's better for you, it's certainly better for the planet, and most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.